0: And if you notice the title to the message today, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 9 again. It's Run. And uh, we've been blessed in our family to have a lot of runners. That's been the the part of things. Katie got it all started off with running track and cross country back in the day, and all the kids have followed a long suit. And um, I'm thankful that I can watch them run. (laughs) Um, And now that I've gotten playing basketball again, um, it makes me run again. And my legs don't quite keep running like they should at this age. But it is good to be out there. And I figure if if Pastor Jim is out there running, um, he's quite a bit older than I am, I need to be out there running too. (laughs) And it's good for me in that way too. But what is Paul going to talk about here with the idea of running? Is quite an amazing thing. And I've entitled it Run. And you'll see the main points as we go along in that way. But that first and you look at those first verses... Um, That Paul does there in verses 19 through 22. He runs as a free slave. (laughs) As a free servant. Now that seems like an oxymoron in many different ways. But you notice there he says, Though I am free and I belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone, a servant to everyone, to win as many as possible. (laughs) That word freedom is an interesting word. When we bring seminarians in, After they've been out on internship or we interview them at different times, we ask them, What does AFLC stand for? Our church body, the Association of Free Lutheran Congregations or Free Lutheran Churches. Okay? But then we ask them a specific question. He says, We say to them, Explain to us what free means. And a lot of times, what most of them will say is, It refers to our polity. We aren't under a synod. We're all individual congregations. And then we remind them that that is all based in the freedom we have in Christ. The freedom to not sin. Not freedom to not sin because we do it anyway. But the freedom from sin. That relationship with Jesus Christ is the key. Even to our freedom as congregations. To have that freedom. And Paul has that freedom. He's been washed clean. But he says, I'm a free slave. I'm a free servant. His freedom is in Christ. That freedom from sin. Do you realize that back when our nation started, that people like John Adams and John Hancock and other of our fathers, you know what their saying was? As they went along, because the, the king was over. Us at that time, and things everybody said, they would say, "We recognize no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. No king but King Jesus. <laughs> That's the freedom we have in the United States or we're supposed to have in that sense, from tyranny. <laughs> but we have a greater freedom. It's a freedom in Christ, a freedom from sin because of what he's done for us if we will receive it and walk in it. Um, I think about that and I think about it with our nation. We celebrate different days to recognize the freedom we have here in the United States. We take Memorial Day, for instance, and we put the flags on the graves and we do all things. We remember those who have died before us. We especially remember those who have died protecting us and giving their lives for us. We do that on July 4th too. We do it on Veterans Day very often too. Freedom isn't free. There's a price that's been paid. And the freedom that Paul had was paid. The freedom that you and I can have has been paid in Christ. Now why does Paul say this? Why does he say that he can run as a free slave or be that servant? He says, why? So that I might win over. (laughs) That I might win over those. That are out there. Those that don't believe and those that do. Um, one paraphrase of this says uh, that I might win over the religious, the non religious, the meticulous moralists, the loose living non moralists, the defeated and demoralized. <laughs> but that we could live, win over those people. And by the way, can Paul save them himself? No. Remember what he said here. He's already said that he's a free slave. Who is he a servant to? No longer a slave to sin, but a servant of Christ. That's who wins them over. And Paul is bringing that out. If we're going to preach to today's society as we go along, this postmodern culture that we live in consists of groups of people with a lot of different ethnic groups, political groups, socioeconomic, religious backgrounds. And we have so many people who have immigrated here. We're we're that melting pot, aren't we? (laughs) All you have to do is go go to one of the stores, right? You can hear about three or four different languages every time you go. The people are coming here. And due to all of that, we can expect to meet people like that. For example, um, and they have different cultural nuances that we don't know about different things that perhaps would help us to know if we were to try and win them over or just even to talk with them. Let me give you a few examples. Um, If you laugh while showing your teeth or tipping a person from Japan, that can be viewed as rude or insulting. (laughs) Um, Being a few minutes late to meet somebody from Germany is unacceptable because it sends them the message that your time is more valuable than theirs. Having your hands in your pockets When you meet somebody from Turkey or South Korea, it's considered a sign of arrogance. And immediately opening a present from somebody who gives it to you if they're from India or China, it's a sign that you've, um, it's, it's construed as an act of greed when you open it right away. And by the way, if you ask for salt and pepper at a meal, it might offend someone from France, Italy, Spain, or Japan because it sends the message that the food is terrible. Polishing off your meal when visiting someone from China or the Philippines, Thailand, or Russia sends the message that the portion of food that you were given was inadequate and that you're still hungry. (laughs) Blowing your nose while in the presence of someone from China, France, Japan, Saudi Arabia, or Turkey would not only be considered rude, but repulsive to them. Now, I can go through a whole other list different things and we look at things, but to reach our postmodern culture multi-ethnic communities, the church, as Paul says here, in some ways needs to become all things to all people so that we could win some to Christ. That means change. The church can no longer remain within the confines of its old bil- own building and expect that the com- community to come storm our doors. <laughs> we need to reach those lost souls we need to first understand as we do that to emulate their cultures a bit by spreading that good news. This, of course, by the way, does not mean <laughs> that we share in their sin or that we change the message that God has entrusted to us. But merely changing the methods sometimes that we share the Gospel. To not only show respect, but for also sometimes to be able to speak that cultural language. Now again, catch me on that. We're not changing the message. And we're not changing necessarily even who we are at those points, but we go forward in that way and we know about them. It becomes us thinking about them and wanting to reach them. Rather than us getting caught in that pride thing again all about ourselves. The church needs to change from the inside to We need to truly want to make our family hospitable to the diverse populations. And again, it's not to change everything, but it's to be aware of those people and their needs. To reach those hearts. To become and to be a slave to others in that sense. A slave to the gospel. I like to put it this way, I think of it this way, to be in this world, (laughs) but to keep our bearings, to keep our bearings in Jesus Christ. (laughs) By the way, Jesus gave that great commission, did he not? All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Teaching them to observe whatsoever I've commanded you, for lo, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. So, as we are in this world and we want to keep our bearings in Christ, Paul says, When I'm with the Gentiles who don't follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law, so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God, I obey the law of Christ. It doesn't mean that we're chameleons either. We don't throw off the things of God, but there are times where we have to go out to reach. But we want to keep our bearings in the right spots. One person put it this way. They said, too many Christians remind me of the London bus company years ago. That transit company was striving for efficiency. They made it their goal to always be on schedule. (laughs) No other bus route in any other community seemed to even rival their efficiency. So how did they do it? How did they manage to keep such a tight schedule? Well, it seems that if they were in danger of getting behind, behind schedule, their drivers were instructed to simply not stop at bus stops. Even when there were people waiting there for the bus. So you can imagine that made some customers fairly angry. <laughs> But the London Transit Authority released this statement to explain why they didn't always pick up passengers at the bus stops. Quoting them here now, it says, It is impossible for us to maintain our schedules if we are always having to stop and pick up passengers. Now what's wrong with that picture? (laughs) A bus company does not exist to meet a schedule. The purpose of the bus company is to pick people up and drop them off. In the same way, what is our purpose as believers in Jesus Christ? To pick people up and to drop them off at the feet of Jesus Christ. Before Jesus left and returned to heaven, he gave the church those marching orders, did he not? As we just read a little bit ago. (laughs) See, that's the second part here in verse 23. Paul runs as a free slave, a free servant, but he says, run to share. In verse 23, don't just talk about it. Be in it. Live this life. It'd be so much... Sometimes I know Joyce and I have talked about this. We, we think we should just move to Alaska and build our house somewhere out in the middle of nowhere so that we can be apart from this world. It's, it's tempting at times because of all that flows in. But God wants us to be a part of this world, not the world to be a part of us, but to live in this world and to run to share God, not just to talk about it, but to be in it and to be a part of it. Back in the 1960s, there was a young high school boy. Um, his name was John Baker. And uh, he loved to run. In fact, he loved running so much that his dream was to be on the high school track team. The only problem was the coach wasn't interested. John was too short, too slight to be a runner. But John's friend was built like a runner. In fact, John's friend was such a promising runner that the track coach heavily recruited him for the team. But that boy wasn't interested. That was when John came up with a plan so that he could join the team. He told the coach, he said, I promise you, coach, if you let me run on the team, I'll get this boy to join the team. So John got on the team because he got the boy to join. And the team's first race was a 1.7-mile cross-country race through the hills of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Of course, there were a number of other schools there for the meet, and so was the reigning state champion runner, Lloyd Goff. All the eyes were on Lloyd Goff. It seemed like a foregone conclusion. That's who they're going to see winning this race. And as they started the race, Lloyd Goff led the pack as they disappeared over the hills. And for the next few minutes, the spectators waited and they watched as the race went on. And then at last, they saw one lone figure running toward them. Everybody assumed it was Lloyd Goff. (laughs) But it wasn't. Guess who it was? <laughs> That's right. It was John Baker. He led the pack. He was not only won the meet that day, but he set a new meet record. <laughs> when asked how he was able to win, John said he asked himself a simple question. He said, am I doing my best? <laughs> and then he fixed his eyes on the runner ahead of him until he passed him. <laughs> And then the next and the next until there was no one left. See, the last part of this, Paul, in verses 24 through 27, says, when you run, run to win the prize. Everyone runs, it says there, but there's only one who wins. Paul's talking about a race. He's using it as that picture. He's not expecting that all of us can win the same race. But he's saying run as if you're running to win that race. That's what he's telling the Corinthian church. That's what he's telling us. God says run to win. And by the way, who has already won the victory? God has won the victory over sin and death and the devil. And we can run in that and we can run to win that race. He says there we run, they run to get a crown, but that crown won't last. The crown that we can get will last forever. And by the way, even if we win that crown, where does it end up? All those crowns end up at the feet of Jesus, the one who saved us. I'm not just trying to give you a pep talk today. That's not the goal of this sort of thing. Paul is pointing out to run and how to run and how to live. (laughs) How to live for Jesus in that way. To win that eternal prize. (laughs) To run hard to the finish line. Years ago, there's a story um, concerning Paul Bear Bryant. Those of you who are football fans and know about Alabama and different things you'll recognize that name he's a football legend he was an amazing teacher a coach a a motivator his players knew that if they were going to play for Bear Bryant they would have to give 110 percent they had to be completely determined to do their best the story goes that during one of the games his team was ahead by six points with only one minute to play Alabama had the ball and it looked like the game was all sewed up. All the quarterback had to do was hand off the ball to the running back and the game would be over. Everyone in the crowd was beginning to celebrate. However, the quarterback decided on his own that he wanted to score another touchdown. And he decided that he would surprise both the other team and his coach, Bear Bryant. (laughs) So he got in the huddle and he called for a passing play. He just knew that the other team was thinking that he'd hand the ball off, so it would be easy for him to throw a short pass for six more points. He would surprise the fans, the opposing team, his own coach, with his intelligent play calling. Stepping back, he caught the ball from the center, looked around, and he threw the pass. But the opposing defensive cornerback came around and suddenly intercepted it. He was a world-class sprinter, this cornerback from the other team. And it was off to the races. Everybody in the Alabama crowd groaned as they knew what a foolish thing that that quarterback had done. Suddenly everybody knew that Alabama was going to lose the game. There was no one on Alabama's team that could catch this defensive cornerback, this world-class sprinter. It was an easy pick six and then the extra point and Alabama would lose the game and on the sideline, Coach Bear Bryant was livid. But the Alabama quarterback, who was known for his arm, he was a lousy runner. He couldn't run a decent 40-yard dash. But that day, his feet were on fire. He took off running as hard as he could and caught the cornerback at the five-yard line. And tackled him and time ran out and Alabama won the game. After the game, the opposing coach went to Bear Bryant and he asked him how how in the world did your quarterback run so fast? He's as slow as molasses in January, he told him. How did he do it? How did he catch my world class sprinter? And Bear Bryant reportedly looked at the opposing coach and said, You have to understand. Your man was racing for six points. My man was racing for his life. (laughs) The quarterback was determined. Sometimes I think we forget that we are racing for our lives. (laughs) Our life has been redeemed. But we can live our life to the fullest as a slave, as a servant of Christ, as a slave to all. Stay alert, it says here. Stay in top condition. Don't get caught napping here. Finish well. Let me close with this story it's the story of Robert Reed. Let me tell you something about Robert Reed. He can't run, he can't box. He can't take part in any physical contest. His hands are twisted. His feet are useless. You see a picture of him actually on the left up there. He can't bathe himself. He can't feed himself. He can't brush his teeth. He can't comb his hair. He can't put on his underwear. His shirts are held together by strips of Velcro. And he has trouble speaking clearly. Robert has cerebral palsy. His disease keeps him from driving a car, riding a bike, and going for a walk, but it didn't keep him from graduating from high school or attending Abilene Christian University. And cerebral palsy did not keep him from teaching at St. Louis Junior College or from venturing overseas on five mission trips. And Robert's disease didn't keep him from becoming a missionary to Portugal. He moved to Lisbon all by himself in 1972, all alone, and there he rented a hotel room and began studying Portuguese. He didn't even know the language. <laughs> he found a restaurant owner who would feed him after the rush hour and a tutor who would instruct him in the language. Then he stationed himself daily in the park where he distributed brochures about Jesus. Within six years, he had, he had pointed 70 people to the Lord who had accepted Christ. <laughs> How did he do that? Well, Robert did that by keeping his eye on the prize. He wasn't going to let what he couldn't do stop him from doing what he could do for the Jesus he loved. My friends, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the author. He is the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who went to the cross for us. And that joy that was laid before him, as it says in Hebrews 12, and He paid the price. So let's run. And it doesn't mean I have to have you up here literally running. But Let's run and let's live for Jesus. Father, oh God, thank You for the words that You give us in Your Scriptures, Your Holy Word. Thank You for the truths that are there. But thank you most of all for that truth of what you have done for us. God through your through you, O Holy Spirit, help us to live our lives. As we go forward in you knowing that you're still working on us and the things that way help us to live to live in freedom, freedom from sin, but to live for you, Jesus Christ. Again, thank you. Do your work, God. Amen.